Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 again so this text here says that you have become obedient from the heart the root word for that word obedient here is actually that same word doulos a slave and so if you're taking notes a second definition for this word doulos is one whose will is swallowed up by another's I want nothing more in life than to be walking in the presence of God's will, to be in the center of God's will. Jesus wanted nothing more in his life than to be in the center of God's will. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he can say, not my will, but your will be done. I want the peace that comes with being in the center of God's will. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tells a parable of two sons. And he comes to his two sons and he says to his two sons, I need you to both go and to work my vineyard today. And the first son he comes to, he says, son, I need you to go out and I need you to work. I need you to go do some work for me. And the son says, I'm not going to go do that. Right? He comes to the second son and says, son, I need you to go out and to work. And the son says, absolutely, I'm, I'm on it, dad. You can count on me. I will go. I will answer the call. The first son, when the father left, became convicted. His heart was grieved because he knew he wasn't doing the father's will. And he got up and he went out to the vineyard. The second son who gave the lip service, who said, I'm there, I'm going to do it. When the father left, he never responded. He never went out to the field to work. And so Jesus is asking the question, who then do you think did the father's will? And the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they say, well, it was the first son who even though initially said, I'm not going to do it, responded to the father's heart and actually was obedient. That's the one who did the will of the father. And Jesus said, exactly. And then Jesus follows it up and he says, you see, there are two kinds of people. There are those religious leaders who have a good talk. They talk a good talk, but there's really no feet to their faith. There's nothing that they're walking out. There's nothing that they're living out. And then there are those sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners, the dregs of society, the people who know that they are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, who when they hear the gospel, respond to the gospel. They're saved and they do the Father's will. And he says, in the same way, there's going to be a lot of you religious people who think that you're right with me, you're right with God because of the rules you've kept, but you really didn't respond the way you should have responded. So my question to you this morning is, have you responded correctly? The Father's heart for you is that you come out from under the law and you come and you rest under grace. You stop asking, what do I need to do for God? And you rest in what God has done for you. Right? There has to be a change of heart in order for that to happen. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. 
the purest expression of faith that we can offer to God this morning is our obedience. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Jesus sees our love for him by the fact that we choose to obey. Again, not that I'm obligated to obey a set of rules, but these set of rules blesses God, blesses Jesus, so I'm going to do it to show him the love that I have, right? It's a change of heart. It's a change in motivation there, right? So obedience is the purest expression of our faith. When God says, don't touch the fruit, we don't touch the fruit, not because of the law, he says, but because we say, God, we believe your word. Your word, your will is better than my word than my will. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 55. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And when we obey God, we say to God, God, I trust your will. You have this figured out in ways that I don't. I believe your word more than I believe my flesh, more than I believe my desires. You are right and I am wrong, and so I will follow your will. I will obey you out of love. See, for so many years, many of us served our flesh, served the carnality of the world. We sought after the prizes and the possessions of the world, and we sought them with all of our heart. Well, my question to you this morning is, do you want to be as good of a worshiper as sweet as a worshiper of God as you were a sinner chasing after the things of the world? Because we chased after the things of the world with our whole heart. And Jesus said the greatest command of all the commands is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you give everything that you have in your devotion of God. That's the greatest command. Is to have a change of heart where I'm no longer doing this because the law says, but I'm doing this because my love for you demands it. I must do this in order to show you this love that I have overflowing in my heart. So is that where your heart is today? How does your heart feel when you hear things said like the Lord says that we should be giving a 10% tithe to God's kingdom. Do we do that out of fear that maybe I'm going to displease the Lord if I don't? Or we do that out of love. God, I'm going to do this as a form of worship to you, right? Do you view your prayer life as a have to or do you view your prayer life as an I get to? How do you view your time in Bible study or in study of God's word? Is it something that you check off a list and I do this because I have to? Or you do this because you want to sit at the feet of the Lord and soak in his word and his goodness? There's a difference in heart attitude. And God is looking for a heart that responds out of love that doesn't have to respond to law. Right? So now one other thing I want to point out here before we move on to the next portion is you've got to understand that you're either obeying the Lord today or you're not. There's no middle ground. Right? You're either fully committed to the obedience of the Lord and you're showing God your love or you're not. You can't hold certain things back and say, well, God, you know what? I've obeyed you in most of what you want, but you know, this part of my life or this relationship or this vice or this sin, I'm going to hold on to that. I'll obey you in all of these things, but I'm not going to obey you here. How would it look if I was trying to bake a cake? Let's say I'm baking it from scratch. I need this much flour, this much sugar, this many eggs, this much baking powder, maybe a little bit of salt, maybe a little bit of lemon zest or something. I don't know what all goes into a cake, but I'm going to measure those things out perfectly. I'm going to weigh it perfectly. I'm going to bake this cake. And then you disregard for how long you put the cake into the oven for and at what temperature you put the cake into the oven for. And you say, well, I obeyed most of it. I don't understand why I have a mess when the cake comes out. You've got to obey the whole thing. 
In the same sense, God wants to see your heart in your absolute obedience. You have to give everything. You can't hold certain parts back. You understand that if you obey in most things but not all things, you're still disobeying the Lord. You understand that, don't you? So has your heart changed? Has there been this quickening of your heart? Look at, let's read on together just for the sake of time. It says, you become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed, verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. There's that word slaves again. You're going to see this come up over and over and over again. Our third definition of this word doulos in the Greek, we've seen someone whose will is swallowed up in another, someone who's born into slavery. This one is someone who serves without thought of their own interests. I just am surrendered to your interest, God. I'm just going to serve for the sake of righteousness. I'm not thinking of myself. I'm not thinking about my desires or my preferences. I'm doing this out of love and adoration and worship for you. I'm not thinking of myself in my obedience to you. So I become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms. Now Paul says, listen, I get it. This isn't the greatest analogy. I'm trying to find an analogy that will connect with you. You understand the relationship of masters and slaves. This is prevalent, what was going on in the Roman culture. People understood this. So he says, listen, this isn't the best analogy. I'm trying to make you understand what this is like in human terms. Obviously, it's not the greatest analogy to speak of us being slaves to God. He's saying, like, that's not what I'm really trying to drive home here, okay? I'm, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So there's this contrast. You used to present yourself to sin, which led to lawlessness, or you can present yourself to obedience, which is going to lead to your sanctification, righteousness, which leads to sanctification. Now, I find it interesting here that Paul says that you present yourselves to lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness. Take a quick look around our country and our culture today, and you can see that we're living in a time of increased lawlessness. People are ignoring the law. They have a problem with authority, right? Those of you who maybe have struggled with addiction or maybe know someone that have struggled with addiction, you understand that people don't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to become an alcoholic today. Or, you know what, I think I'm going to become an addict today. It doesn't happen that way. What happens is they say, you know what, just a little bit isn't going to hurt. And then a little bit becomes a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more. And eventually it's spun completely out of control. And this is what happens with lawlessness. It takes a little bit more sin, doesn't it, to experience the same pleasure? And so the next time there's a little bit more to try to experience the same amount of pleasure and it just snowballs out of control. Well, this is what's happening in our culture. The lawlessness is abounding in our culture. It's growing in our culture because in order to experience the same kind of pleasure, there has to be more lawlessness. It has to continue to grow. And Jesus predicted that this would happen. He said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, and because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will be increased or will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Their hearts that should be surrendered to me, their hearts that should be committed or worshiping me, they should be obeying me out of this impetus of love, that that is going to grow cold and their hearts will become cold. I wonder this morning if you're in that boat, I wonder if your heart has become cold, if you've become calloused to the things of the Lord because lawlessness is increasing around you and you've been sucked into it. 
You have to walk out of this. You can't present yourself. You can't present your members to that. That's not what God has called you to be. He's called you to something better. You're no longer slaves to that. In speaking of human terms, he says, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity. No more. Now present yourselves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. That word sanctification means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. In John chapter 17, you can read it later on. We won't, for the sake of time, go into it. But John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples and through his disciples, even for you today, that you would be sanctified, that you would be made holy, that you'd be set aside or set apart by the truth. Jesus accomplishes our sanctification. He went to the cross so that we could be sanctified. Now, in the Hebrew text, the word for holy is kadosh, and it meant something that was sanctified or set apart for use within the temple or tabernacle services. There were instruments that had to be kadosh, set apart, sanctified, in order to be able to be used in the worship within the temple. In the same sense, Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, and he said to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the master of the house, ready for every good work. Are you useful today? Could God come to you on a shelf? If you were see yourself as an instrument, a tool, sitting upon a shelf, could God come to you and grab you as a vessel, grab you as a tool, grab you as an instrument, and be able to use you? Because if you haven't been cleansed, because if you haven't been washed, you're not ready to be used. If you haven't been sanctified, you're not ready to be used. You're not holy. God cannot use that which is unholy, right? You need to be washed in the blood. You need to be washed in the water of the word. You have to make sure that you're constantly being cleansed by the Lord. See, our justification is a one-time thing, just as if I'd never sinned, declared innocent, no longer guilty. That happens. That's the beginning of our sanctification. Sanctification is a process that will go on the rest of our lives until we're taken into glory. We're going to be being made into the image of God. He's doing a work within you this morning, and that work is sanctification. You're justified, we're being sanctified, and one day you will be glorified. Our sanctification is complete the day that we are glorified. Are you allowing God to put his hands down and get his hands into the clay that is your life? Are you allowing him to pull out those things that don't please him, to pull apart those attitudes and those heart attitudes and those words and those thoughts that are not pleasing to him? Are you allowing him to strip you down and to make you just come down to your bare essentials to where you're actually ready to be used by the Lord because God wants to use you? And in the master's house, there's lots of vessels, some that can be used for honorable purposes, some that are not used for honorable purposes. I want to be the one that God goes to when he needs to use someone. I want you to be someone that God can go to and take off the shelf and say, here's someone that I can use. Right, so there's this idea of our sanctification. Now read on with me. Look at the next verse, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time of the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. There was a time, he says, when whatever fruit abounded to your account it just led to shame. 
There was shame in your life and that shame separated you from God. And so the fruit of your labors, the fruit of your work, the fruit of your trying to keep the rules and the law, it just led to shame because the more you tried, the more you failed. Praise be to God that Jesus did not fail. Praise be to God that there was someone who came and stood in my place that will not fail and that when I stand with him, when I stand next to him, when I am in Christ, I am righteous and I can stand before the presence of a holy God. He says those things that led to shame, they also led to death. The end of those things was death. Sin will always lead to death. You see this no better than in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You can read it later on in its entirety, but here's a young man who says to his father, I want my inheritance because the world looks very attractive to me. And I want to go, I want to take what you were going to give me when you die. I want you to give it to me now because there are things in the world that I need to experience. There are things in the world that I need to partake in and that will bring pleasure to my flesh. Give me my inheritance now so I can go live my life. The scripture says he squanders that living. He wastes it on reckless living, on party and carousing. And it comes to a point in time where there's a famine in the land. And in order to feed himself, he goes and he hires himself out to feed the swine. And he's so hungry that he wishes he could have the meal that the swine are partaking of. And in that moment, he comes to his senses and he remembers how good the slaves, the servants, had things in his father's house. And he says, I'm going to go back. And I'm going to apologize to my father. And I'm not going to ask to be brought back into the home as a son. I'm just going to ask that he hires me as one of his servants. Because his servants are fed and they're warm and they're safe and they're protected. Right? What happened in that moment when he's wallowing in that mud? He remembers how good it was in the father's presence. We've explored this before. That word death, the end of those things which cause shame leads to death. The word death means a separation. A separation from the presence of of God. The beautiful thing that there is this morning, the beautiful hope that you have this morning is that if you're in that pit, if the place where you're at in life this morning is you're feeding the swine and you regret the decisions you made, the things that you've wasted, the goodness that you've wasted of God's blessings, and you remember in that place how good it was in the Father's presence, all you have to do is get up out of that pit and go back to the Father and He's waiting for you with open arms. You don't have to live separated from his presence. You can come back into the Father's presence and be welcomed back as a son. So this text, again, those things lead to death. Verse 22, but now, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Again, another contrast, right? The old way of sin led to death, but now the new way, when you follow after God's heart, leads to sanctification and eternal life if you truly are a slave to God. That word slave there, again, this is your fourth definition of doulos if you're keeping track, is someone whose bonds are so strong that they can only be broken by death. That's how closely we should be knit to the Lord. The only way that I'm going to be able to be broken from the Lord is if I am dead. Right? And obviously you can't die if eternal life is your reward. I am tethered to my master. My bonds are with my master. I am so tied to him that it cannot be taken from me. This is what the text is saying, the end of which is eternal life. Contrast here between what the enemy wants to do in your life, to steal, kill, to destroy. The word destroy means to ruin, 
It means to lay waste, to annihilate. That's what the enemy wants. But Jesus came that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly, overflowing. Look at this last verse, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have a new master when you come to the Lord. You've been given a new heart, a new way in which you want to worship when you come to the Lord. And finally, you're living for a new reward. The word wages there, the wages of sin is death. It's the word that is used to describe a soldier's pay or a soldier's rations. What I found interesting when studying this is that in these days, uh, that slaves could be owned, obviously, but some slaves actually received a small salary, and it was called a peculium. And they could save up this peculium, and they could actually purchase their freedom one day. Now imagine to be in a slave's shoes, to work all of your life, to be saving up your little bit of salary, whatever that wage was, in hopes that one day you could bring that wage to your master, and you could offer that wage to your master and say, Master, look, I've worked for you all of these years. I've worked hard for you. Here's the fruit. Here are the wages that I've earned and here I'm now paying for my freedom and the day before you're able to purchase your freedom you die because you see that's what will happen if you're following the obligation of the law you can work yourself to death but the end of it is death you can give all the money that you have you can volunteer all of your time you can give to the needy you can volunteer with youth you can do whatever you want in the community you can be on this board and that board and you can be working so hard out of obligation but it still leads to death the reward that you're now looking for is not the wages that you've earned we've all earned death but the gift the word can be translated the grace that the grace of god is eternal life in Christ Jesus, then now what you're looking toward, the reward that you're looking for is not whatever I can earn with my own two hands. Now the reward that I'm looking for is what God has given me by his two hands being spread upon a cross. Now what I have to look forward to is the grace that there is in Christ. You see, in one sense, my life can be lived out of obligation, but in the other sense, my life can be lived out of adoration and appreciation for the grace that is waiting for me when I enter into his presence and I hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did what you did because you love me. You did what you did because you wanted to, not because you had to. Beautiful thing about the promise of eternal life is that there is nothing that you can do to earn it. It truly is a grace gift that you have to receive through faith. Listen to what the book of Titus says. It says in Titus chapter 3, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. That's not how we were saved. We didn't earn our peculium and bring it to our master and say, look, I've paid my debt. We weren't saved through our own righteous works, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Listen to this. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You weren't saved by your works. You became an heir of eternal life through what Jesus did on the cross when he showered you with his grace. He showered you with the blessings of his spirit residing, dwelling within you. This morning, 
my challenge to you is that if you haven't had that but God moment yet, if you haven't had that moment where you surrendered your ability to work for God for your desire to receive from God, if you haven't come from a place of the law to a place of love, if you haven't come from a place of this is what I need to do for God to a place of where this is what God has done for me, if you haven't come from a place of obligation to a place of adoration, my challenge to you is to lay down those tools that you've been working so hard with on your own and you come into God's presence where he can pour out, lavish on you his presence, lavish on you his grace, lavish on you his Holy Spirit so you can be set free, so you can enjoy the promise of eternal life. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977